This is broadcast producer Desi Doyen. We're off this week, but we're happy to share our special coverage of the House January 6th Committee's critical public hearings. Today's episode, Day One, originally recorded on June 10th. As our founding fathers recognized, democracy is fragile. People in positions of public trust are duty-bound to defend it, to step forward when action is required. In our country, we don't swear an oath to an individual or a political party. We take our oath to defend the United States Constitution. And that oath must mean something. I say this to my Republican colleagues who are defending the indefensible. There will come a day when Donald Trump is gone, but your dishonor will remain. It certainly will. Thanks, Liz Cheney. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF, amongst other fine terrestrial affiliates. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and all your favorite podcast sites except for Spotify. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for our special coverage of day one of the public hearings of the bipartisan U.S. Select Committee investigating the January 1 attacks. It, uh, January 6. What did I say? January 1. <laughs> oh, boy. See, already, I'm already confused. Hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. Well, it, it it felt like one of those uh, one of those evenings when the entire nation was watching, to be frank, one of those all too rare moments when all of us all at once were experiencing the same set of facts for a change, an echo of the Watergate hearings and others like it, presidential debates, perhaps even the Super Bowl, those rarer and rarer moments when the nation comes together for a shared experience that is carried by every major broadcast outlet and every cable news network. Well, every cable news network except for one. Fox News felt that its viewers just could not handle facts and evidentiary proof that the Republican propaganda outlet has been blatantly lying to them 
about what happened on January 6, 2021, for the past year and a half. That their own star anchors were key players in a narrative that is the direct opposite of what many of those same star anchors have been telling their viewers for the past year. But for, but for those n uh, not brain-poisoned enough to be able to handle it, much of the nation was, in fact, riveted to day one of a promised six-part series of hearings by the bipartisan U.S. House Select Committee examining the January 6, 2021 insurrection and the events surrounding Donald Trump's attempt to remain in power, which I have referred to as Donald Trump's attempt to steal the 2020 presidential election, and which I believe the committee already began in its first primetime hearing on Thursday night to lay out, even if they have so far failed to use those specific words, which I think best describe what Trump and his supporters attempted both in the lead up to January 6th and on that bloody day itself. The House panel, nonetheless, uh, firmly laid the blame on Donald Trump for what happened, charging that the January 6th assault was not spontaneous, but a coordinated attempted coup and a direct result of the defeated president's efforts to steal an election that he lost from the American people. With a chilling, never-before-seen 12-minute video of extremist groups leading the deadly siege and at times start, uh, startling testimony from Trump's innermost circle, including family members and his closest top advisors, the January 6th committee provided gripping detail on Thursday night in contending that Trump's repeated lies about election fraud and his public effort to stop Joe Biden's victory led directly to the attack and imperiled American democracy, which remains threatened even today by his actions, as committee chair Benny Thompson, Democrat from Mississippi, laid out in his opening remarks. Donald Trump, the president of the United States, spurred a mob of domestic enemies of the Constitution to march down the Capitol and subvert American democracy. January 6th was the culmination of an attempted coup. The violence was no accident. Because of our democracy remains in danger, the conspiracy to thwart the will of the people is not over. Before this fall's midterm elections and with Trump considering another White House run, the committee's final report aims to account for the most violent attack on the U.S. Capitol since 1814 and the first one carried out by domestic enemies, to my knowledge, in hopes of ensuring that such an attack never happens again. Testimony on Thursday showed how Trump desperately clung to his own false claims of election fraud, despite those around him insisting that Joe Biden had won the election. In a previously unseen video clip, a, uh, the panel played a remark from former Attorney General Bill Barr, Donald Trump's former Attorney General, who testified that he told Trump that the claims of a rigged election were BS. I made it clear I did not agree with the idea of saying the election was stolen and putting out this stuff, which I told the president was bullshit. And... Uh, you know, I didn't want to be a part of it, and that's one of the reasons that went into me deciding to leave when I did. I observed, uh, I think it was on December 1st, that, you know, how can we, you can't live in a world where, where the incumbent administration stays in power based on its view 
unsupported by specific evidence that the election that there was fraud in the election uh, I did not see evidence of fraud and frankly a year and a half later I haven't seen anything to, to change my mind on that Donald Trump's own Attorney General Bill Barr in another clip the former president's daughter Ivanka testified to the committee that she respected Bill Barr's view and therefore agreed with him how did that affect your perspective about the election when Attorney General Barr made that statement? It affected my perspective. Um, I respect Attorney General Barr. Um, so I accepted what he said was saying. In response on Friday, in a rambling, enraged statement on social media, Donald Trump seemed to throw his own daughter under the bus claiming, quote, Ivanka Trump was not involved in looking at or studying election results. She had long since checked out and was, in my opinion, only trying to be respectful to Bill Barr, adding, quote, he sucked, and describing his former hand-picked AG as, quote, weak and frightened, stupid and a coward. Other previously unseen video showed leaders of the extremist Oath Keepers and white supremacist Proud Boys groups preparing to storm the Capitol. And one rioter after another in testimony to the committee told them they came to the Capitol because Trump asked them to. President Trump summoned a violent mob, said uh, Congresswoman Liz Cheney, the panel's vice chair, who took the lead for much of the hearing. When a president fails to take steps necessary to preserve our union, she said, or worse, causes a constitutional crisis, we are in a moment of maximum danger for our republic. There was a gasp in the hearing room when Cheney read an account that said when Trump was told the Capitol mob was chanting for Vice President Mike Pence to be hanged for refusing to block the election results, Trump responded that, well, maybe they were right. Perhaps Pence, quote, deserves, unquote, to be hanged. Quote, the president did not really want to put anything out calling off the riot or asking his supporters to leave. You will hear that President Trump was yelling and, quote, really angry at advisors who told him he needed to be doing something more. And aware of the rioters' chance to hang Mike Pence, the president responded with this sentiment, quote, maybe our supporters have the right idea. Mike Pence, quote, deserves it. Trump did nothing, even when he heard the crowd wanted to hang his own vice president and felt that maybe he deserved it, deserved to hang, deserved to die because he would not help steal a presidential election for Donald Trump. At another point, it was disclosed by Cheney that Congressman Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, a leader of the efforts to object to the results, had sought a pardon from Trump, from Trump, which would protect him from prosecution. Other members of Congress, she teased, withholding names for hopefully future sessions, did so as well. When asked about White House lawyers threatening to resign over what was happening in the administration, Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, scoffed as seen on videotaped testimony that he thought those attorneys were just whining. 
In somewhat wrenching testimony, U.S. Capitol Police Officer Carolyn Edwards told the panel that she slipped in other people's blood as rioters pushed past her into the Capitol. That after she was reportedly the first officer to be injured as she was pushed back while trying to maintain the thin security line of bike racks that were set up to protect the Capitol perimeter. She was knocked down and she was knocked out. She suffered brain injuries in the melee but got back up to continue the fight and was later pepper sprayed by the MAGA mob, which has long pretended to be a friend of law enforcement. Not so much, as it turns out. It was carnage. It was chaos, said Officer Edwards in her testimony live before the panel on Thursday night. The riot left more than 100 police officers injured, many beaten and bloodied as the crowd of Pro-Trump rioters, some armed with pipes, bats, bear spray, charged into the Capitol. At least nine people who were there died during and after the rioting. Trump declared in response to all of this on social media that January 6th, quote, represented the greatest movement in the history of our country. Yes, he really did. In the weeks ahead, the panel is expected to detail Trump's public and private campaign to steal the election, including pressure he put on the Justice Department, congressional lawmakers, state lawmakers and others to help him steal it from the American people. All of this as the DOJ has arrested and charged more than 800 people for the violence that day and the biggest dragnet in its history. Notably, however, neither Trump nor any of his lieutenants in this unprecedented effort have yet to be charged for their part in what resulted in a deadly coup to try and topple the U.S. government in order to prevent, for the first time in our nation's history, the peaceful transfer of power. Joining us today for our special coverage and insight on all of this, of course, is our own Desi Doyen, who you have already heard from. But good day again, Ms. Doyen. Hello again. And our very smart guests today, beginning with the great Heather Digby Parton, longtime award-winning contributor at Salon and the proprietor of Digby's Hullabaloo blog, uh, who will be holding our hand throughout this series of hearings over the next couple of weeks. Uh, Good day, Heather. Good day to you, too. Thanks for having me. Sure. And, of course, uh, Keith Barber. He is joining us uh, until frequently, a frequent Daily Coast contributor on legal and constitutional matters, known over there as Keith DB. He now writes at his own Medium site. Uh, Keith is a former U.S. uh, Army captain, a longtime now-retired attorney, and even a lifelong Republican, at least, as he likes to say, pre-Trump. Oh, Keith Barber, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thank you, Brad. Good to have you both here. Heather, let me start uh, uh, with you, uh, and we'll start sort of abroad, and then we'll narrow down into some more specifics as we go here. Uh, But Heather, who are these hearings, as you see it, geared to? Who are they meant to move? Who's the audience in the committee's mind? Is it the American people? Is it their own colleagues, the DOJ? Uh, how, How do you see this? Well, the the conventional wisdom, I think, coming from the media has been that, you know, at least the savvy insider media has Mm -hmm. been, you know, well, this is, it's fine that they're doing this and whatever, but it's really aimed at the Department of Justice. And, you know, I have to assume that they are putting this, you know, the information that they've found out there with some thought to the Department of Justice, 
that they are watching mm-hmm. and that they will take advantage of whatever the committee has turned up if they are, in fact, investigating. I, but I don't buy it that that's what the committee is doing. Mm. I'm sure that's part of it, but I really think this is about, it's about something else. It's about, the first of all, the, the, the public. I think they really feel that if they can put together this story in a, in, in a compelling way, this is a, a narrative that they are sort of going to unra- unveil over the course of six hearings and maybe more, apparently, um, and that, that people will really understand the gravity of what happened, and they're going to remind people of, of you know, the horror, I think, showing the, uh, the footage of the, of the events at the Capitol that day. That's always very jarring, even for those of us who've seen hours of it. It, mm-hmm. it always kind of takes you aback on, whoa, you know, that's really something. But I also think they're doing this for history. They're doing it to make sure that there's a record of what happened here. Um, because, you know, who knows what's going to happen. We, you know, we've talked endlessly in other, in other, you know, programs about what they're planning to do going forward. And I think a lot of this is sort of laying this out so that people will have a record of what happened as we watch what is going to happen uh, going forward. So that's my thought on that, you know, mm. and I think it's really all of the above, basically. I, I think it is, too. I mean, because it was laid out very much like a legal case, at least in uh, Liz Cheney's presentation. Keith Barber, I know you've been uh, focusing very closely for, for many months now on the legal aspects of all of this. Uh, and, and and I just kind of felt, you know, no matter how one sees this, it seems like even from day one of these hearings here that something must come of it. It's all too large, too monumental to sort of only be put out there for history, that there must be a, a legal response. Did you get the sense that, uh, that that's the case that the committee seems to be making here? Oh, yes. I think that they very much want a legal response, uh, but they want to convince the American people that a legal response is necessary. Mm. Um, I mean, that's, that's kind of the bottom line on this, and I think that one tactic they're, they're taking and doing a good job with, mm-hmm. uh, is there was a lot of people now have put this on the back burner, uh, you know, there's other issues that are more important to them now, you know, be it inflation or, or the economy or what else. And I think that what the committee's first mission should be is to show the American people how very, very close this plan to overthrow our democracy came mm. to succeeding. Mm. And I would say that it, it hung by a thread, except yeah. for there were lots of very thin threads where if any one of them broke, mm-hmm. uh, the plot would have succeeded. If any one person had acted differently, mm-hmm. uh, Trump would have succeeded. If Pence sim- simply hadn't been the single flaw in the, the plan for the Green Bay sweep, or whatever they were calling it, uh, to throw the Electoral College into the House, mm-hmm. uh, it would have worked. Or it certainly could have, mm-hmm. and the violence in the Capitol came very close to succeeding to get getting to members of Congress or getting to the Vice President with probably deadly intent, um, and and there were just all sorts of ways this could have worked um, if Mike Pence had gotten in the car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. And also at the DOJ, where, uh, you know, were it not for a whole bunch of folks, uh, DOJ staffers saying we're all going to quit if you replace the current acting AG to put in your 
your plant, uh, who who then intended to let everyone in the state uh, to to let the uh, state legislature state legislators know that they had found some sort of massive fraud at the DOJ when they hadn't. You're right. Any one of those things. Uh, and we would be in a very different world right now. Yes, indeed. And I think that uh, one of the things that we have drawn away from Liz Cheney's opening statement was that she set out seven steps, a seven-part plan that Trump had enacted to steal the election. And I think the uh, the committee did a good job of putting him at the center of this attempted coup at the center of the coordination of those efforts. But Keith brings up an excellent point that at any point in any of this seven-part plan, if any person in any of those seven points had uh, failed to do their duty to the Constitution, we would be in a very different place now. I know that um, <clears throat> both of you, Keith, Heather, and Desi, have, have all been following this matter pretty closely in, in various ways over the past year and a half. Uh, so I'm wondering what, if anything, uh, did you learn about all of this that you did not know previously? And that can be uh, specific points or broader ideas as you see them. I, I will tell you for my part, uh, it was really the broader picture uh, that the somberness of the moment being reminded after the past year and a half of just all measure of insanity, uh, just sort of being brought back to square one, reminded about how serious uh, this was to the point where, frankly, I kind of became emotional at points during the proceeding when I did not expect to for reasons that I'm not exactly uh, uh, clear on. Uh, Heather, uh, what, what, what did you come away with that you did not uh, expect or know beforehand? Well, I felt the same way, just for the record, <laughs> that I did have these moments of sort of an emotional reaction, which yeah. I didn't yes. expect either, because I'm immersed in this stuff. Right. You know, I mean, I read everything about it, so it's not like there were a lot of, of surprises, but there kind of were, and one of, one of the things, aside from what, what Desi um, just pointed out, which mm -hmm. was this idea that there was a seven-point plan, mm -hmm. I had heard Liz Cheney say over the weekend, uh, a week or so ago, um, that it was, she, she used some very specific language that I thought was interesting because she said it was a, uh, a well-organized um, plot, and I thought that I hadn't had that impression. What, what has come out, I think, in this and the way that they're going to present this is that it was organized, that this wasn't just, you know, you kept having the, the feeling with all this that it was just sort of, they were throwing whatever they had against the wall and just mm. trying to get, you know, whatever they could. Mm -hmm. It's starting to look, and it appears to, appeared to me last night, that the, that the committee has found that it was much more organized than we realized. That, the, that these seven points, which are, and if you don't mind, I'd just sort of like to say what, she's, sure. what they basically said they were. Sure. Which was that for, the first point was they engaged in a massive effort to spread false and fraudulent information. Well, we know that. Big lie. Big mm -hmm. lie. The second was that he planned to replace the Attorney General and that whole business with the Department of Justice and how they tried to corrupt the department into mm -hmm. uh, helping them, uh, you know, strong-arm states and various mm -hmm. other parties and to make the public believe that there was some evidence of fraud. Yeah, to weaponize the, the DOJ, as it were. Exactly, weaponize the DOJ. The third was the pressure on, on Pence and, you know, the Green Bay sweep and that whole thing. The fourth one was the pressure on state, Trump's personal uh, pressure on state election officials and state legislators to change the results. Um, the, the fifth was they, they instructed Republican 
you know, activists and what have you in multiple states to create false electoral narratives and transmit the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, to create false electoral slates mm-hmm. and transmit them to the Congress and the National Archives. I mean, that is electoral fraud. I mean, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I, I don't yeah. know how they, you know, can that seems think, pretty think illegal. That that's, yeah, and, and uh, the DOJ is investigating that. We know that. Mm-hmm. Um, then there was, he summoned the mob uh, uh, for January 6th. Trump did, and there's a lot of interesting stuff kind of swirling around about that and how that came to be. And then as it was underway, Trump did nothing. Uh, mm-hmm. He ignored many pleas for assistance and didn't take any immediate action, even though, you know, Pence was. So there were seven aspects to this, all of which sort of, it, it looks as though you, you can see how one would sort of cascades into the other, and it, leading up to this final moment, they're sort of... Um, you know, their their Hail Mary uh, with the insurrection. So that, I thought, was very interesting. And it was new to me that they were actually, and I had, like I said, I had heard Cheney say this, and I kind of went, hmm, that's interesting. I wouldn't have put it that way. But now I'm beginning to see that that's the case that they're building, that this was actually a, a coordinated and, um, you know, fully plotted coup plot um, I, that wasn't just ad hoc the way I had thought it was. And I don't, uh, I, 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 the only uh, place where I would differ with you there is uh, in describing it as a seven-point plan in that, you know, I, I don't get the sense that it was as if each of these things had to happen to bring us to the next one, to bring us to the next one. I think it was, uh, you know, seven points that they were hoping any of them would work. That they, you know, That's more that, like a plot, then, that they, were, I guess. Uh, they were trying all of these things. None of them, thankfully, ended up working. But yeah, that they had, uh, you know, thought this through and they looked at every possible avenue. And I guess that's what will be uh, that what the committee will be breaking down in the uh, in the in the hearings ahead. Keith, um, did uh, you have any thoughts on uh, is something that you did not previously understand before the hearing, the first day of hearings? on Thursday? Well, I guess it was something we all expected, and it wasn't actually in the hearing, but just minutes after the hearing, Danny Thompson uh, appeared on CNN with Jack Tepper, and it was a fascinating interview, Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, Tepper directly asked Thompson whether or not they were going to present evidence that uh, basically the Cowboys and the Oath Keepers had direct conversations with members of Trump's inner circle. And Thompson's one-word response was yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can see Taffer's eyebrows go up so quick, his glasses almost came flying off. (laughs) And and he he, he he kind of repeated the question again. Mm -hmm. And Thompson simply said yes. Uh, So we're going to be hearing about that down the line, and it's going to be fascinating to find out who those individuals were in the Trump inner circle, and we could speculate all we wanted, and I've, I've got some of my guesses, but and, and just to, we're just going to find out who those guys are that were, you know, for that seventh point. There and it, it raises the question, yeah. it raises the question, the proverbial question made famous in Watergate, what did the president know and when did he know it? <laughs> and, uh, you know, yes. I'm kind of surprised nobody. No, but I put it in my piece for Salon this morning, but mm-hmm. that's, I, was, I, was, I, I got that, too, just as Keith did. I saw Benny Thompson, and my eyebrows went up, and the hair on the back of my neck stood up because I went, uh-oh. You know, that sort of explains why there was this focus last night on the Proud Boys and, and what was going on there on that day with the filmmaker and all of this. 
I, you know, I got the same feeling and that they're leading up to something, and when wherever that leads is going to be very interesting. Yeah, well, uh, the idea, and, oh, and let me just uh, key thing on uh, just because your phone broke up a little bit, just I want to make sure that people understand that eyebrow raising moment was uh, again Benny Thompson being uh, asked by CNN's Jake Tapper, are there going to be witnesses that describe actual conversations between these extremist groups and anyone in Trump's orbit specifically? Because there really was a a big focus, Keith, uh, on the Proud Boys and on the Oath Keepers, um, the top leaders of which have already been charged with seditious conspiracy, um, and a focus on that meeting between the, the, the leaders of the group. So, uh, you know, I was trying to get a sense of why they felt that was so important to focus on the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. Is the takeaway you're getting here, Keith, from uh, the remarks from, uh, from the chairman that the reason they're focusing on them is because there is much more to come and they are going to tie them directly to the administration in some fashion? I- Yes, and you know Thompson didn't elaborate. It was it was about as pithy a comment as you can make. He simply answered yes both times. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, uh, an interesting factual nugget that didn't get a whole lot of press at the time. But um, back in early May, uh, another oath keeper flipped. William Wilson mm-hmm. is his name. Um, and it was kind of interesting because his indictment came out the same day as his full cooperation plea agreement. So it was all, it was all planned. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his indictment uh, describes him, Tom uh, Wilson, mm-hmm. uh, attending a meeting on the night of January 6th. So this is as things are settling down. Uh, they went back to their hotel where they had their quick reaction force and all the weapons you know, stayed, staged there for that. Mm-hmm. And Rhodes got on the phone, Stuart Rhodes, the, the leader of the Oath Keepers, got on the phone to someone who was obviously closely connected with, with Trump because he spoke in a way that indicated that, that this person could talk to Trump. And, in fact, he spoke in a way that indicated this person could put Trump on the phone personally with Rhodes. Mm-hmm. And Rhodes asked him to do that, and whoever the person was refused to do so for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, that's in the indictment, you know, in the statement of the facts associated with the indictment, that this uh, Wilson witness Rhodes call someone that from Rhodes' end of the conversation, the, the, uh, Wilson heard uh, him yeah. asking whoever was on the other end to, to tell Trump right. uh, to call upon groups like the Oath Keepers to forcibly oppose the transfer of power. Like he had some sort of a, a direct line in there. Yeah. And and do you get the sense then that, uh, you, you know, that I think I heard one of the pundits on CNN or something uh, suggesting that Donald Trump could simply be added in a superseding indictment to an already existing indictment uh, for the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers for seditious conspiracy that, in fact, Trump could just be added to one of those uh, indictments uh, as as an attorney. uh, Do you get the sense that that is why they're sort of taking so much time focusing on the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and then potentially connecting Trump directly to them? Well, if they indict Trump, I doubt, it'll be very, I doubt very much that it will be through a, a supplemental indictment that just adds him to an existing allegations against 
the Oath Keepers and Proud Boys. And if you read those indictments, uh, you know, they go very specifically into uh, the messages between themselves and the other groups, mm-hmm. you know, through their secure messaging apps that they used and so forth, that, you know, unless you a bombshell discovery occurred that, you know, Donald Trump was using those apps, too, uh, I don't think would have much carryover. Mm. Uh, if Donald Trump's indicted, I, I think it will be, um, the reasons that we discussed in our, my prior call with you, which it was a lay-down case for conspiracies against the United States. Well, I, where, but, you know, Trump was part of a conspiracy to just block the electoral college. So, well, that's already what they have charged the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers with, exactly, as I understand that's, that's it. That's true. They engaged. That was the purpose of their yeah. conspiracy. That's why I'm they, saying. Yeah. So they, ha- so they yeah. have indeed established that they're willing to charge people <laughs> for mm-hmm. a conspiracy associated with that purpose. Right. And tie him to them. And it does seem like you got him. All right, everyone, uh, stay put here for a quick second. I got to take a quick break. We will come back with uh, more of our special coverage of day one of the January six hearings in the U.S. House on uh, on Thursday night with Salon's Heather Digby Parton and Medium's Keith Barber. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to the Bradcast. <laughs> What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Hey, this is Brad. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast. Not only did President Trump refuse to tell the mob to leave the Capitol, he placed no call to any element of the United States government to instruct that the Capitol be defended. He did not call his Secretary of Defense on January 6th. He did not talk to his Attorney General. He did not talk to the Department of Homeland Security. President Trump gave no order to deploy the National Guard that day. And he made no effort to work with the Department of Justice to coordinate and, displo- and deploy law enforcement assets. But Vice President Pence did each of those things. For example, here is what General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, testified to this committee. There were th- uh, two or three calls with Vice President Pence. He was very animated, and he issued very explicit, very direct, unambiguous orders. Get the military down here, get the guard down here, put down this uh, situation, uh, etc. By contrast, here is General Milley's description of his conversation with President Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, on January 6th. We have to kill the narrative that the vice president is making all the decisions. Uh, we need to establish the narrative that... Um, you know, that the president is still in charge and that things are steady or stable or what's that thing. I immediately interpret that as politics, politics, politics. Uh, red flag for me personally, no action, but I remember it distinctly. 
Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Special coverage of the U.S. House January 6th uh, insurrection hearings day one uh, on Thursday night with my guests, Salon's Heather Digby Parton and Medium's Keith Barber. Heather, uh, do you have any sense? Do, do you know, did the folks who testified, you heard General Milley there basically saying that uh, Mike Pence was giving all of the orders, Donald Trump hadn't called at all, and then uh, his chief of staff said, uh, hey, we got to kill this idea that Mike Pence is in charge, when in fact, essentially, Mike Pence was in charge. But do you have uh, a sense, do you know, did, did the folks who testified on videotape realize that those videotapes would be might be aired publicly in these hearings i'm i'm confident that they must have i mean i i I can't imagine that ivanka and jared for instance they have lawyers i'm sure that they did a lot of you know negotiating ahead of time and and they had to know that this was going to happen now maybe they didn't realize that it would be in a prime time hearing Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and that you know by the way the ratings the preliminary ratings are in it looks like about 20 million people watched just on tv no no accounting yet for how many were streaming so it was a big audience wow um in any case that you know i i'm sure that they knew uh that uh, on some level they had to know and and you know i mean i can't really imagine what kind of of uh rationale these people had for their behavior at the time or even you know what they did in the the testimony they gave to the committee but the truth of the matter is they you know these were subpoenas or they were invitations in you know advance of a subpoena mm-hmm. if you did not respond to the invitation this is serious business anybody who is not i mean these crazy people like navarro and and uh, you know uh, scavino and steve bannon i mean they're they're doing a they're having a uh, ma- making sort of political decisions so they're they're doing this stuff for for other reasons but mm-hmm. any normal person you know you get a subpoena you respond. I mean, because this is a, it's a legal requirement. Uh-huh. And so I think that most of those people probably knew. Now, the, I thought the, the, the committee was very skillful in the way that they put it together, and I have a feeling we're going to see more of that. There, there was a real sense of how to tell that story mm-hmm. and lay it out using the words of Trump's own people. I mean, mm-hmm. nothing could be more damning, I think. And I've even seen some stuff on Twitter, and, and uh, even I went over to Truth Social to see what they were saying. There was mentions of that, kind of like, ooh, that's kind of bad. You know, that was, you know, the, the, you've got Barr, and you had Jason Miller, and you had had Ivanka and Jared, and it's kind of like, ooh, you know, they, they, I don't know that that's what they, what the, what the Republicans expected, mm. that this was going to be used in this way, and that, that they would use their own words to indict Donald Trump. And, and I, think, I think that was tremendously powerful. So, I really do. So to that end, since you mentioned uh, that they are talking about this over on Donald Trump's uh, personal social media site, and you mentioned the ratings, uh, I mentioned at the uh, top of the show the fact that Fox News was not airing this, uh, presumably because they are uh, they feel it necessary to protect their uh, viewers from you know actual facts and stuff. But do you sense that uh, this material is getting through to those people? I, I think it's I think it's actually getting through to some people. I mean, of course, I, I'm, I have no hope that the that the you know the hardcore cult members are going to change their minds on this. And in fact, it's important to look at what what Fox really did, which was something extraordinary. It wasn't just that they ignored the hearing. In fact, they didn't. 
what they did was is that they put they had Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity on. They put the hearing on sort of on a sidebar, uh-huh. and then they put in you know, they had guests and commentary that were completely from Bizarro World that uh-huh. were telling this a completely different story of what was going on. No advertisements, so yes. that people would not be tempted to break away and maybe check out. You know, what's really going on on every single network in America. Yeah, uh-huh. give them no opportunity to look exactly. away. Exactly. And so they laid out a complete counter-narrative. I mean, and this was Tucker Carlson at his worst. You know, I mean, this is just crazy stuff. Going back to the FBI being involved and all that stuff, they had Tulsi Gabbard on there. They had some real fringe characters on as guests. And apparently one of the producers of NBC was watching it, and they compared whenever they cut away from the sidebar mm-hmm. to just get go full, you know, um, on, the, on the face of the person who was speaking. Mm-hmm. They did it whenever there was any footage of the, uh, of the actual, actual riot happening yes. so that people wouldn't see the violence. Uh-huh. So they were doing something even, even worse, I think, than ignoring it. It would have been one thing if they just sat there and talked about, I don't know, Dr. Seuss and Mr. Potato Head all night. I mean, mm-hmm. that that would have been one thing. But this was an actual propaganda operation yeah. that was full bore, no advertisers. This was Fox News making a very, very serious statement. Now, according to the ratings from what I saw, the preliminarily, they got their usual $3 million. Um, Sorry. <laughs> You know, a lot more people saw the other. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm sure a lot of people, a lot of people streamed it too. You know, that's the, the uh-huh. new. I'm sure many people would just watch on C-SPAN or whatever. So, um, I, you know, I think that there was that there's some leaking that's going into <laughs> into their uh, into their little uh, little In, into cult. their bubble. I was, mm-hmm. you know, I was watching because uh, I had watched t- Tucker at the uh, top of the hour uh, when the hearing was supposed to start. They were a couple of minutes running behind, so I turned over to Fox News. I was watching Tucker, uh, who was telling people, disinforming his audience, that this was not an insurrection at all. It was uh, because apparently, I think his reasoning was that there were few, if any, guns recovered during the attack so it <laughs> could not be an insurrection but boy you know watching that footage particularly of the violence at the Capitol uh, and then hearing from the US Capitol Police officer Carolyn Edwards while I was watching all of that I'm hearing Tucker's voice his disinformation in my head that this was not an insurrection that was quite a confusing message for my brain <laughs> I, I, I really uh, uh, welcome to Fox World. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I guess you got to either go all in or get out. Um, Keith, you're a, a former now Republican. Uh, do do you get the sense that uh, any of this stuff will will bleed out? You know, be, beyond beyond the bubble, beyond the already <sighs> believers, I guess. Uh, you know, there is the core of Trump believers. Who and I you're believe down. Them. And by the way, you're down in the villages, as I recall, I, I right? Am indeed. Okay, yeah. so uh, uh, and, and I can walk around in our block and see Trump 2024 signs up all over the place. Wow. Um, there you know, uh, as I think you guys were suggesting, there is a core of Trump believers, the cult, that are completely immune to any level of factual presentation. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it does not matter um, what level of facts are involved, and they, they still believe the election was stolen. They believe that even though Barr said it was not, they believe it even though other senior Trump officials say it was not, they believe that even though 60 court cases say it was not stolen, um, but they believe, and and nothing you can say will convince them. Um, 
even the idea, apparently, uh, uh, Congressman, this is a clip 16, I think, Des, um, Congressman Scott Perry of Pennsylvania uh, and apparently multiple other Republican members of Congress sought pardons from uh, from the president, from Donald Trump at the time, pardons for I guess their own attempts to overturn the election, that according to Liz Cheney on, uh, on Thursday night. Representative Scott Perry, who is also involved in trying to get Clark appointed as attorney general, has refused to testify here. As you will see, Representative Perry contacted the White House in the weeks after January 6th to seek a presidential pardon. Multiple other Republican congressmen also sought presidential pardons for their roles in attempting to overturn the 2020 election. Now, I don't know if either of you have any guesses about who those other uh, members of Congress might be, but... Um, I do. Do you? Do you have a guess? <laughs> Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, there was an article in the Arizona, um, one of the Arizona papers a um, couple of months ago that I just happened to remember. Yeah. Uh, Andy Biggs and Paul Gosar are both... Uh, among those who did, and I've heard also that Mo Green, Mo Green, <laughs> Mo Brooks, <laughs> thinking Godfather here, mobsters, yeah. um, <laughs> Mo Brooks was also one who who asked one, as well as as Perry, who they mentioned in the, in the hearing. So there there was more than a handful of them, and Jared had you know he was juggling a lot of those things. Apparently, who knew? Yeah, he said uh, he didn't have time for uh, anything else because he was trying to do as many pardons as possible. <laughs> Keith, uh, Keith Barber, can can you walk around the uh, villages? down there in florida and, and ask uh the, the 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 trumpers why it would be that all of these congressmen would possibly feel they needed a uh, a pardon from donald trump if they did nothing wrong you know we mostly avoid political discussion down here to uh, to keep the peace <laughs> probably smart but i think i think it will probably be interesting to see if some of these congressmen over the coming days uh, come out on their own, come out of the closet, sort of speak on their own, to say, <laughs> yeah, I was one of them, so that they can preempt the committee disclosing it and mm. then spin it uh, in, in, you know, with in their own way. Mm. And if I if I was to ask a neighbor, I think the answer would be something similar to what you may be hearing coming from these congressmen soon, is that, they, of course, knew that the Biden administration would weaponize the Department of Justice mm. against good patriotic Republicans, and uh, therefore they were just trying to get a pardon, uh, you know, to frustrate the corrupt ends of the Biden administration. Mm. Good explanation. That's, yeah, yeah, that's that's and, rationalization. And if you don't hear that in the next few days. Call me back and tell me I was wrong. But I think <laughs> you will. No, I, I think you may be very right about that. Let me take another quick break here. We'll come back with our final segment with Keith Barber and Heather Digby-Parton and, of course, Desi Doyen and myself. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to special coverage of day one of the January 6th House hearings. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast. What I saw was just a, a war scene. It, it was something like I had seen out of the movies. 
I, I couldn't believe my eyes. There were officers on the ground. They were bleeding. They were throwing up. They were, you know, they had, uh, I mean, I saw friends with blood all over their faces. I was slipping in people's blood. I, I was catching people as they fell. I, you know, I was, it, it was carnage. It was chaos the absolute war zone that the West Front had become. Oh, man. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com discussing uh, the uh, day one of January 6 hearings uh, on Thursday night with Salon's Heather Digby-Parton and Medium's Keith Barber. Uh, Keith Barber, as a veteran... Uh, you, you heard uh, U.S. Capitol Police Officer Carolyn Edwards there, who was actually knocked out cold d- during this uh, uh, this attack as she was trying to guard the perimeter and then got back up, started slipping on people's blood, was eventually pepper sprayed. Uh, you know, as a veteran yourself, what do you make of the many other veterans and law enforcement officials who were actually in the crowd that day, uh, including members of the Oath Keepers, uh, who seemed to so easily turn against their fellow law enforcement officers on uh, on January 6th. What, if anything, should we learn from that as we keep in mind all of these years of, you know, their thin blue line flags and we support the troops and all of that? What, what do you take away from that? Well, they're worse than vast hypocrites. Um, they're traitors. I... I Honestly, Brad, you've, you've, you've hit a sensitive point with me here. Um, first of all, I think that when Officer Edwards was making those comments, America got very quiet um, because it was, it was just so impactful and profound. Um, but the officers that you speak of that were in the Oath Keepers and, and the Proud Boys and others that were attacking our capital... Um, I wish I could speak to some of them. I really do, so that I could tell them to their face uh, that they violated the oath that they took when they rose their hand to serve this nation, uh, and that they were when they attacked others who who did the same. And I'm I'm appalled at it. Um, you know, I, I guess I'm not too horribly surprised I'm, I'm aware of the mentality that can produce it but on the other hand you know officer edwards as you pointed out at the very earliest stages was not unconscious from this and she got back up and dusted herself off mm-hmm. and went back to manning the lines how many of us would have done that yeah. under those circumstances yeah. And, uh, you know, what? I don't have the answer to that, and because I'm not sure I would have. Yeah. But yeah. one thing I will say is that individuals such as Officer Edwards are the kind of people that make this a great nation, uh, and, and certainly not the people who breach their own oath to attack her. Uh well, I would echo that, and I would also note that the the notion that uh, the uh, a cop could be knocked out, knocked out cold, and that they were so ill prepared for all of this that 
there was, you know, nobody standing by to take her out. And I'm not blaming them. I'm saying that, you know, the fact that the administration uh, who knew this was going to happen, we are learning, uh, you know, the Trump did, administration purposely did not bother to uh, make sure there was, you know, adequate defenses that when a, a a cop falls down and gets knocked out that, you know, there's first aid that she's taken out that replaced with someone else. Well, I would jump uh, in and yeah. say that I, I think that that was actually that that sort of lack of preparedness, that lack of sharing of intelligence information was maybe sadly part of the plot yeah, yeah, in order to make point. sure there was not mm. enough people there for the violent mob to be able to do what they exactly were going to my try point. to That's do okay why they were trying to keep everything uh, a, a secret basically heather and i've got just a minute or two here before i have to get out uh, heather the uh, corporate media in the in the run-up to all of this over the past week seemed to offer the sort of the same narrative over and over again. They were asking members of the committee, do you have information that will get the attention of the Americans that will grab them by the lapels that will somehow change, uh, you know, people's minds uh, who have already been dug in? Uh, And I know I saw you mention on Twitter that that was driving you a little nuts. But (laughs) did that happen on Thursday night? And uh, well, let me leave it. With that question, uh, were we uh, shooken out of our stupor at this point so far? Well, I suppose it remains to be seen, but I think that they were very powerful, and I was quite surprised by the media's actual reaction in the moment to the the hearing. They seemed to be shooken, as you put it, uh, <laughs> as much as the rest of us were. So, you know, they they had it was horrible. They they spent so much time just sort of downplaying and kind of creating a narrative that and eh, nobody cares about this and the Americans only care about inflation and gas prices and blah 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 this is old news etc cetera, etc cetera. it was it was just driving me crazy because of course they were setting that narrative mm-hmm. and what it did was set this huge high bar for the for the committee to right. to hit because they were going to have to present something that was you know really really uh, impactful and in fact, they did. <laughs> so I think, you know, my, I have a good feeling about the idea that I think that this, and of course this first hearing was just a wet the appetite because right. the details are going to come later. So I think that however much they tried <laughs> to sort of make it so that everybody shrugged and moved on to whatever the next story was, I don't think it's going to work. I think, I, And I think that even they were moved enough to say, hmm, you know, maybe we need to be a little bit more responsible in the way that we, you know, present the narrative of what's going on here. And do, uh, very quickly, do they do they run the risk at this point of wearing people out, losing their attention with, what, five more of these at least to come, Heather? I don't think so. Okay. I mean, this is, this is, an, this is an incredible story. It's historic, and I think that, that uh, people are... People are paying attention. I think they're going to pay attention. And, yes, we are capable of having more than one concern at the time, okay? The idea that the American people are so shallow that we can only think about gas prices and can have absolutely no other concern in life is ridiculous. Very quickly, uh, once around the table for everyone here, um, uh, let me start, I guess, with you, Heather. Uh, What do you hope to see in the days ahead? What do you expect to see? Well, I think I hope to see, and I'm kind of expecting to see, because they did such a good job last night, mm-hmm. that we're going to see this whole story filled out with with details that we haven't seen yet. Um, a lot of this has been reported in the press, but I think that what we're going to do, and, and they're going to continue to use the words of Trump's own people to make the case, and I think that's... Now, as I said earlier, I think that's very powerful. I think they got a lot more in their pocket in that regard than we may realize. Yeah. Uh, Keith, uh, what do you hope to see? What do you expect to see in the days ahead? Well, I think one of the reasons 
that people are, are going to keep coming back is because last night they did a really good job of teasing us, uh, if you will, uh, about some real interesting things to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've talked about several of those already today to include the name of the congressman who asked for uh, pardons or the, the names of the individuals who were in close contacts with the Proud Boys or Oath Keepers yeah. and so forth. That's, that's certainly going to be tuning in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm looking forward to finding out those information, that, that kind of information. I mean, I think that the American people need, in terms of uh, of, being, of convincing to um, uh, to get rid of Trump as as a as a political force in this country, is is to believe that he was responsible for the violence that occurred there on that day. And and to understand how close our democracy came to failing. Yep. Yes. Uh, Does he do it? And, and the American people just—if if they can communicate back to the American people, it's a win. I'm going to just uh, co-sign with Keith and uh, Heather on both of these, and I'll just say that um, uh, every successful coup was preceded by a failed coup. So I really do hope that they uh, continue to prosecute the case. Absolutely. As I expect they will. And we've got uh, five more of these. We'll be uh, covering uh, these as uh, closely as we can, as closely as warranted over the next week or two. I want to thank both of my guests today, Heather Digby-Parton. You can, as always, find her work at salon.com and or digbysblog.net. You can find her on the Twitters at Digby56. Keith Barber is now writing over at Medium. You can find him at KeithDB. Dot medium.com and on the Twitters at KeithDB80. Uh, thanks, guys. Greatly appreciate everything, and we'll be talking to you again soon. Desi Doyen is our producer. Thank you as well, and thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, all of which is made possible only by listeners like you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Bradblog. That's it. Until we uh, see you again here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.